Philip Stutz comes from the cutthroat world of political marketing. He has over two decades of experience on campaigns with billions of dollars in political ad spend and contributed to over 1,400 election victories, including three presidential wins. But it's a campaign against a rare disease that sent Philip in search of a moonshot. Achalasia affects one out of 100,000, but it's this one that is aiming to do something epic about it. Philip joined the podcast and talked about that and building a business with a mission to serve others. He's a former boss, a friend, and a mentor, and I think you're really going to like this conversation. Brian Jodis back with Pick Up the Six podcast. Philip Stutz, welcome to the show. All right, before we get started, I'm going to throw a little curveball at you, Brian. Do it. Okay, uh, everybody listening, uh, we're going to turn the tables for like two <laughs> seconds, and I'm going to tell you the Brian Jodas story, and it, it's a little different than you probably think. Um, I have, and this is in the theme of what we're going to talk about today, but I've spent uh, eight years on a journey of becoming a better man and a better person. Uh, that journey has led me through uh, a lot of therapy. Um, it's led me through uh, a uh, a challenge in my health issue, which we'll walk through. Mm -hmm. um, it's led me into uh, psychedelic therapies. Like I've, we can get into this. I've taken psychedelics with a therapist, with my wife in the room, uh, to to unlock some of the the issues and problems that I have never faced in my life, maybe never even knew I had. Um, in the crosshairs of me being uh, a different person eight, nine, 10 years ago, fell one Mr. Brian Jodas. And I say this before we even jump in. Brian is one of the greatest human beings I've ever known. Uh, he taught me about prioritizing family which I didn't understand when I had my family originally. Um, I got to know Brian. Brian is the first hire I ever made in all of my companies. Um, and I probably didn't appreciate Brian back in those days. And uh, we've all grown up. I love to say we all grown up. I'm 47 now. It's like 10 <laughs> years ago. Like I'm talking 37, 47. But that's how screwed up yeah. I was. Um, and I'm grateful, Brian, before we jump into this, I'm grateful for the impact you've had in my life that you never probably even realized you did. And, um, I'm appreciative for, for what you're doing in your life. Now I follow you on Facebook. We keep in touch from time to time. Uh, you are a purpose-driven man. And I love to see that. I like to surround myself with those kind of people, but you've always been that way. Uh, you may have gotten better at it. You mm -hmm. may have unlocked things you didn't know you could do better and be a better dad, husband, leader. Um, but I've always known that about you. So this is an honor to be here. And I just wanted to start out before we even go into the questions and get it all about me. I, I wanted to make it about you for a second, because that's the truth. Well, brother, I love you. Thank you for doing that. And and those words, they go both ways. I mean, in all seriousness, and and that's the beauty of the way this thing goes. And, and you could even go back and look at our history. There was a time there was Philip Stutz and Company, and really? I was the end company. <laughs> there was a time it was, was Philip Stutz and Company, and I was the only company. <laughs> I, I was like, yeah. this guy needs some company for crying out yeah. loud. Let's get it going. <laughs> <laughs> and then you look at you look at the way life progresses, man. And and um, and even in rocky times and rocky roads, you know, yeah. uh, I, I read a quote the other day and it was it was kiss the wave that throws you on the rock of ages, which means mm. to me, take joy in the journey. 
right? Yeah. Embrace these things that come at you. And that's going to be a part of your story. But before all that, thank you for that. Unnecessary, sure. greatly appreciate. I'm so fired up for our listeners to get a chance to meet you if they haven't yet already and to, to hear your story a little bit. We're going to talk about achalasia in a sec because I want to know what the heck that is. I almost twisted myself up saying it was pretty proud of the fact that I think we nailed you did it. the pronunciation <laughs> of it. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this, though. Um, we've known each other for almost 11 years right? Uh, you've taught me, so now I'll heap a little praise back your way. You taught me not only how to create things, but also how to be creative and strategic along the way, which I think is incredibly important. So tell us a little bit about the Philip Stutch journey and what leads you to now win big media, founding Go Big Media and these digital media, purpose-driven digital media firms uh, that you are now just such a huge part of. So just tell us a little bit about that Philip Stutz story. Man, I grew up in Alabama um, and <clears throat> I uh, went to the University of Alabama and then I just kind of knew I wanted to go work in politics. I, I'm, I'm one of the first generation of ADD kids. I mean, there, we were before ADHD, we were just ADD. And um, so because of that, um, I needed to be able to do something that I knew I could focus on and, and work on every day. I couldn't go sell truck beds um, for a living because I, I think I would have blown my head off. It just wouldn't have interested me. So the the high stakes game of politics mm -hmm. kept my attention. And so I, I jumped into politics after college. Um, I based out of D.C., but ended up living in places like San Diego and New Mexico and Baton Rouge and uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota and, and running political campaigns. And um, I, you know, loved it and ended up working on, uh, I've worked on eight presidential campaigns, <clears throat> or been a part of it, part of eight presidential campaigns and three winning campaigns. And so um, we just, you know, I, I, I love the game of politics. I mean, I think there was a three year period in this, in this window, uh, Brian, where uh, from like 2000 to 2002, where I had 20 days off total. Wow. And I just, it was fun. You know, I worked seven days a week and loved all that stuff. And, you know, you knew me in that work mode for a while. Uh, I've kind of broken a little bit off of that, but um, I, I like the purpose. I'm purpose driven. Um, whether I was doing it consciously or unconsciously, um, you know, I think that's one of the key things for me is, are you living a conscious life? Are you living unconsciously? Are you just working through life just to check a box and move on to the next thing? Or, are you uh, conscious about the decisions you make, the actions you take, um, and the way you 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 present yourself into the world? That's cool, man. And, and you know what? Yeah, what's crazy about all that, and I've heard you liken it when you're living in that world, is you're essentially working from startup to startup, where you start up a business, you run yeah. it for nine, ten months, right. and you close it down. I mean, it's a wild experience. Yeah, it's crazy, right? And um, uh, it, there was probably some burnout factor. And so, you know, after the 2004 presidential campaign, with, we helped reelect Bush. Um, I started, yeah, Philip Stetson Company. Uh, this is, uh, you know, I was by myself for, for years. And then I decided, I, you know, it was about 10 years ago that I said, God, I've got to, mm -hmm. there's something else. But I was just clueless on what that was, right? And you and I... <laughs> I say this with all love. You and I were totally clueless on what <laughs> we were doing. It. This is only 10 years ago. Yeah. Like I had no business acumen. I had never, uh, never uh, opened up my books and did a profit and loss statement or a balance sheet. I didn't do that until like 2015. Like I didn't even know what that was. And, um, uh, and then in 2012, um, I, I was having problems swallowing my food. 
Um, and I couldn't realize, didn't know what it was. Eventually I went to uh, a doctor that dealt with sort of esophageal issues. They were like, I don't know what's going on. They, they did some procedures, nothing really worked. They couldn't figure it out. They referred me to Johns Hopkins. It took about 18 months. And then at 18 month mark, they said they, they diagnosed me with a, a rare esophageal disease called achalasia. Basically the muscles and nerves in my esophagus do not work. Um, so when you swallow food, your muscles work in a sequential order to push the food down to your stomach. Mine are dead and they're dead. I mean, when you say dead, there's, you know, there's, we don't know, like there's never been any case where it's come back to life. Right. Um, and that spiraled me out about the same time uh, I had my daughter, uh, you know, my wife and I had a daughter. Um, and I was basically just hiding from everything. Mm -hmm. I, I had put my head in the sand um, uh, you can imagine what kind of leader I was at work, not a very good one, but, um, I wasn't a good leader at home. I wasn't, uh, I can honestly say that the first year of my child's life, I basically tried to run out and do as many business trips as possible and avoid that. Um, and, um, at a certain point I went to, um, you know, I, I just, the pain of all this hiding and avoiding, became really, really too big for me. And that ended up being around 2013, 2014. And so um, you remember this, we, we ended up starting, we got office space, we started hiring people. Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of went for things. This was the first time I ever went for it. Another big thing that you helped me on that kind of in a weird way projected me forward in a lot of ways was we, you and I put a plan together to, to get me on TV uh, and do interviews uh, on TV. And, um, the first, you know, you helped me book my t first TV interview. Um, I've done over 350 national TV appearances, CNN, ESPN, MSNBC, mm -hmm. C, uh, Fox News, Fox Business. Um, that all started with, you know, that. But there was this, this want and desire in me to make a change. I just didn't know what I was doing. I was yeah. very unconscious in everything. I was, you know, all my decisions. Um, I went to, I ended up being treated at the Mayo Clinic for the disease. And you know, I asked the the doctor at the time, I said, well, you know, what's the long-term prognosis for me um, with this disease? And he said, well, Philip, there, you know, there's no cure. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you know, eventually you're going to have to have your esophagus removed and you're going to be in a feeding tube the rest of your life. And just so you know, for a little context, uh, at this point where I am today, I've had 18 minor procedures on my esophagus and I've had four major surgeries on it. So I've had a lot of work done to it. Um, and his point was, you've had too much work done on it. There's just been too There's many nothing we can do at here. At a certain point, right. not much we can do to preserve the esophagus. So when I eat now, it's just drinking a lot of water to push the food down. My, my esophagus is narrowed. Like it's even harder. I, I love meat, eating meat, but it's, it's a hard thing for me because it lodges into the esophagus. So, um, and I remember driving back from the Mayo Clinic that day and I went, hold on, I'm going to have this thing removed. Well, I don't understand. I was very confused, but I just remember saying, I don't accept that. And I didn't know what that meant. Um, but I just knew I, I had, I didn't accept it. Um, and really, I, I mean, the disease is really, or the, the achalasia diagnosis is really fundamentally one of the things that changed everything for me, because I realized in that moment and for the rest of my life, we have a finite amount of time. We have a finite amount of time to live. Um, and I didn't know what was ahead of me in a year, two years, five years, 10 years. And I can either leave, live with purpose <clears throat> and meaning 
and, and try my best to, to love and do everything I can, or I can keep going through life unconsciously, trying to get my needs met at every corner, avoiding pain at every corner and doing everything I can that's unhealthy. And by the way, that path is going to lead to a broken marriage, a broken family, a broken business. Um, I don't know where I'd be right now if, if I hadn't sort of switched that mindset. I know we're both. Moment, yeah. Yeah. I know we're both pretty strong believers in the sentiment that it's not your strength that holds you to your purpose. It's the strength of the purpose itself. And that's, that's sort of found for you along this process. What's interesting to me is you're going through the process of essentially starting a a new business. And one thing I think that you have always been very good at is anticipating, right? So even in those early days of Philip Stutzen company, anticipating what's next, even in the early days of launching Go Big Media, anticipating this real push to digital advertising and marketing related to political campaigns, but then would spring forward for you into this whole other world of strategic marketing now through Win Big Media. But you can't anticipate this thing coming on you. You can't anticipate yeah. what's going to be next. Right. How, how many moments or were there moments where even in that, I'm not going to accept this, you're thinking, I don't know if I can, what, what do you want me to do about this? Looking at like, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely turned, well, I did in the past, I, before that moment, riding, driving home from the Mayo Clinic, we're talking the Mayo Clinic, yeah. sitting like, you know, East like Side General Hospital. This, this is kind of legit. <laughs> Yeah, this is the biggest, you know, most well-reputationed hospital maybe in the world, right? Um, I remember in before that moment, I kind of had just outsourced that to my doctors, right? Mm-hmm. What I've learned since then is, uh, doc, and this is no criticism of the particular doctors, but they see 100 patients a day. I'm no different than them. They literally are trying to put a Band-Aid or trying to give me a pill. They're not trying to solve a problem. Like that's what they have. That's what our medicine system, their medical system is these days. I mean, you, you need to know that they serve a very important function. Obviously you need to listen to your doctor, but at the same time, your doctor is only doing what he has time to do. And you're no mm-hmm. different than the other 99, which actually you have a very different situation. All of us do a very different health situation. We're all unique in our health situations. They don't look at us like that. They throw us all into one bucket. And sometimes they say, take a pill. That pill has good sides. It has bad sides. Instead of trying to just fundamentally understand what happened to begin with, and how do you mm-hmm. fix this to begin with? So in that moment, driving home from the Mayo Clinic, I, I said, everything's going to change. And I know, you know, I know how to be an entrepreneur. And so I decided to apply the entrepreneurial skills uh, to, this, to this situation. And so uh, I didn't know what that meant. It took about six months to get my plan together. The first plan was I needed to make sure I didn't lose my esophagus. So I had to figure out how to have a better diet, a better, <clears throat> you know, overall, what was I eating that was causing all these issues? What did I need to do to make sure my esophagus stayed healthy? And um, I uh, read a book. Um, it came out mm, maybe like four years ago. Um, and it was called The Plant Paradox by Dr. Stephen Gundry. And it just, everything about that book spoke to me. Everything about that book just blew my mind and said, this applies to me. It may not apply to everybody, it applied to me. And so I um, started implementing this diet. It's called the Plant Paradox Diet into my life. It is still the diet I use today. Um, I, it's very keto-centric mm-hmm. in, that, in that regard. Um, I just avoid what are lectin foods like potatoes, nightshade, vegetables, certain nuts. I mean, it's crazy. No dairy, no sugar. I mean, people, I tell this thing to people and they go, 
what, what can you eat? Like, it's not like, there's so many things on the no list for me. Um, <clears throat> and the reason I got that I wanted to get the health thing is I was taking massive amounts of prescription right. medication every day. This, this is what the Mayo Clinic told me I had to do. I needed to take these proton pump inhibitors, these PPIs that a lot of us older people take to relieve heartburn because I just had massive heartburn with every meal. And what I learned was if my diet got better, maybe I didn't have to take them. So six months after that moment in my car, Mayo Clinic, and getting onto this diet, um, I uh, eventually moved off all prescription medication. So I have what doctors deem as an incurable disease, not me, they deem it. Um, and I take no prescription medication for it. Um, because of my diet. And, um, and I, that's been four, four and a half years now that, that I've put that in place. You said they, not me, right? Yeah. So at some point along the process, right. a few things happen here. Uh, if you're waiting around for somebody to empower you to take control, you're going to be waiting for a while, Biggin. So get, get to getting and get to empowering as Damn it relates right. to that. At some point along the way, and you just said it there, they say it's incurable. I don't accept that. You come up with a moonshot. Tell us about yeah, your moonshot. Yeah, so that was the second part. So a few months later, I'm at a conference with, um, it's called the Abundance 360 Conference. A guy named Peter Diamandis, mm -hmm. uh, is the founder of the X Prize, business partner with Elon Musk. And he sort of has this uh, mastermind business conference every year out in LA. And it's all about technology and what's coming. And, and so you can, you know, like you said something about anticipate. This whole thing is about an anticipate. It's, it's how you anticipate the future and technology. It's the coolest conference ever. But on the first day, he gets on stage and he says, take out your notebook and write down something that you consider a moonshot, something that people say is impossible and you'll make possible in five years. And yeah, I'm at a business conference and everybody next to me is like, I'm going to take my business and 10 I'm triple and, my goal. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm gonna, you know, all this stuff. And I wrote down in my notebook, uh, I, I will find a cure to my disease in five years. Wow. So that was in uh, the winter of 2017. And so uh, I didn't know what that meant. I had no plan. I, I'd say the ignorance of an entrepreneur is a beautiful thing. And so I just said, well, let's, I'll figure it out. And one of the things that Peter said was before, if you're going to take a moonshot, you got to do three things immediately to give you momentum. And so I, one of the things I wrote down was, you know, oh, I'm going to announce it. I'd never, I'd had this disease. I'd had it for five years. I'd never told really anybody about it. Maybe you, I, you guys knew about it, but not my mom, my wife knew about it, but literally it was probably less than 10 people ever. Wow. And so I wrote an article and got it placed in Inc. Magazine and it said moonshot. It's like, you know, my, my, my moonshot for a cure. And, um, and I proclaimed, I had this, uh, I had this challenge, health challenge, and I was on a path to find a cure in five years to a disease that had never been cured, to a guy, has no medical background. Um, I'm just totally an idiot for, you know, for that like moonshot. But I mean, good for me, I guess, in the long run. But, um, and so I put it out there to the world to see what would happen. And uh, long story short, it, it went through, you know, it got pinged on Google search, the word accolade. It got pinged by a lot of people that, have the disease, doctors mm -hmm. that work on the disease, researchers, all that stuff. Uh, I got connected with um, a doctor at Johns Hopkins who's worked on achalasia issues for like 20 years. He gives me a call. He says, I read your article. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> Let me tell you, you the know. eight reasons why you can't do this. Yeah. And I go, well, I'm going to do it. And he goes, why do you think you can do it? And I go, well, I think, and I just like, I just read a couple articles that 20 years before in the 90s, uh, 
doctors believe stem cells could regenerate the muscles and the nerves and the esophagus. There's been no research since then. So I just ignorantly, but with authority, (laughs) I said, "I, I think stem cells could be the cure here. And he pauses and he goes, you know, you may be right. <laughs> like, whoops. <laughs> I was like, all right. Okay, here and we he's go. Like, well, let's figure out if we can do this. And if you're good with it, let's put a team around you and let's start doing it. Let's start putting together the plan. Um, we ended up putting around 15 to 20, probably now we're close to, close to 30 or 40 uh, medical professionals all around. We, we spent three years working on this we had to get we had to write the plan we had to do a bunch of tests on uh, we had to do um uh, i mean you know you had to we had to get approval from the fda we the uh, johns hopkins had to approve it these are all large bureaucracies that don't just approve things quickly um what happened though is in the fall of 2019 i went to hopkins and they extracted stem cells or muscles uh, skeletal stem cells out of my thigh muscle um, and then the plan was that they would grow those in a lab and then they would inject them into my esophagus. So this is the long story short, but I'm getting to mm-hmm. it. And uh, I will say this quickly. Um, the extracting stem cells out of my thigh muscle was done without any anesthesia. And they literally took like a wine corkscrew and they just drilled into my leg without anything. And they extracted these stem cells out and to and they hit nerves when they did it, and I, it was one of them, I've never talked about. It. it was one of the most. It was the most painful experience I ever yeah. been through in my life. In fact, the doctor looked at me when I was over and said, "No one said the f word so loud in my operating room before." <laughs> and uh, I said, "Well, there you go. Yeah. I was being honest." Yeah. And uh, uh, and then right before COVID hit in February of 2020, I went back to Hopkins. and they inserted 225 million stem cells into my esophagus. Uh, to try to regenerate the muscles and the nerves and then COVID hit. And had we done, had the plan to do this surgery in March and not February, 2020, never would have happened. I got on the bottom of all the health lists and they didn't care about this thing anymore, obviously. Um, So I was supposed to go back in May of 2020 and do a bunch of tests to see what was going on in my esophagus. Well, that didn't happen. And I got punted to August of 2020. So we went back and we did, a lot of tests, uh, we, they, you know, knocked me out. They went in, they scoped it, they camered it, they, you know, did everything and they realized it didn't work. And so the doctor came back to me about a month later and said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to go for it again. <laughs> he goes, all right, well, you got one more shot. And after that, we just can't do it. And so uh, we have to go back and get all the approvals done again with the FDA and, the, and Johns Hopkins the hope is that by August 2021, we go and do it again. This time, we're going to insert 500 to 600 million stem cells into my esophagus. So maybe they thought maybe we just didn't put enough in you. I can't even and, I can't even wrap my brain around what that looks like, feels like coming out, yeah, the experience yeah. of going through it. You know, going back in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. And this is the other thing. This is one, it's not even, I I like to call it just for the layman's term is the one man clinical trial. It's not even a clinical trial. It's kind of compassionate use case. It's like three steps before they even get to the clinical trial stage. I'm the only person that's ever happened to, they haven't done this on an animal either. Uh, I'm completely, I mean, the doctor laughed and said, you know, you're the guinea pig, right? You're the first person in human history that's ever gone through uh, an attempt to try to cure this disease. And I go, 
I know you're trying to make me feel nice, but like, I want the cure. I don't want to know I tried the cure. Right. And uh, so we're going to go for it again. And here's the thing, Brian, Uh, I'm prepared that if it doesn't work, I've got to figure out a plan B. There are going to be, this may lead to a cure. It may not lead to a cure. It may be the cure. We just don't know. But regardless, all I can do is keep moving forward on it because, you know, I appreciate that I have every day to live and I'm going to live it with as much purpose as I possibly can. You've met hurdles along the way. You're currently in the middle of one that you're going to try to overcome here in just a few months time. Um, Who's picked up your six along this journey? Who's helped you along the way? Well, I mean, everybody that's close to me in my life um, in various different ways, um, you know, on the, on the work side, it's Dean uh, Patron, who's my partner and you know, Dean very well. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest human beings that I've ever had the pleasure to to be around in my life. Um, And uh, you know, I don't know where I'd be in my life without him either. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, On the health side, obviously um, I, this, this book, I told you about this diet I'm on. Well, of course, what did I do? I stalked the author, Dr. Stephen Gundry, uh, who has now written four New York times bestsellers um, on, on this particular diet. Um, And now he's my doctor. So he's my health doctor. Um, And he's become a friend. I've been on his, podcast. Uh, he's, you know, he's just a, a mensch of a guy. He's like 70 years old, but I just love him. And he's a huge, huge, he's made the biggest impact. I mean, just in the way the diet has changed people's lives. So he's uh, on the medical side. He has then my team around Johns Hopkins that has helped me on this, but the most important ones are my daughter and my wife. Um, it has not been an easy journey. Uh, and I think anybody who thinks that uh, marriage is, is a cakewalk is, is, is crazy, but it's a partnership. Mm-hmm. It's a loving partnership and it's a committed partnership. And um, I married up like you did. And I married up in this way. Uh, I'm held accountable <laughs> by my wife. Uh, there is no coming home and sitting on the sofa and getting to watch my TV shows. Mm-hmm. That's not the way it works. The way it works is we spend time with our family. Um, I have a, a problem. Uh, I'm, uh, and I've done a lot of work, you know, like I said, through therapy, but I, I realize I have a ton of, of, of pain associated with my past, with my childhood, with growing up, um, with not feeling loved, um, and then projecting that anger out into the world for a long time. And one of the ways, a lot of people become alcoholics when they want to hide their pain, um, or they get into drugs or whatever. Um, I hide my pain by distracting myself, distracting myself through work or distracting myself in my phone on social media uh, or distracting myself by listening to podcasts all day long, not in a healthy way, you mm-hmm. know, just like literally I get my wife can be talking. I'm like, hey, I'm listening to podcasts like I'm just trying to to avoid any part of reality or being present in the mm-hmm. moment. Uh, it's one of the things I've identified uh, really lately is I try to learn how to love myself better. And I think that's one of the things I'm really focused on this year is how do I, how do I really love myself better? Um, what I've learned through this marriage is you, through my marriage and through fatherhood is um, I have to be present. I have to be there. I have to, um, I have to be part of their life. It's so, it's so obvious, but that's my struggle. And um and I need to be supportive for them like they're supportive of me. And I've got a great wife that 
she ain't, she ain't going to stick around if I don't do these things. So I don't do these things because I need to keep my marriage intact. I do these things for me now. Um, but because I was held accountable, I realized I'm doing them for me now. And um, I'm really grateful that. And then other thing is just, I have an eight-year-old daughter, the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. Love every minute I get to spend with her. Um, I am an infinitely better father than anything I ever could have imagined. Um, I sort of followed the path that I kind of grew up with when, when she was born, which was, ah, I'm going to outsource the daughter thing to my wife. I get to work, right? Yep. Um, it doesn't work like that. Not if you want to have a happy child without a lot of problems. And so, um, you know, uh, I'm truly committed to both, uh, you know, being a better father and a better husband. And, and I got to tell you, going through the pain of this uh, achalasia diagnosis is basically what kind of spurred a lot of this for me. The, the last thing I'll say is this, um, you know, I got one life. I can live it. And the disease taught me this, like you can live it with purpose and you can give, you can, you can live it consciously um, and authentically um, and, or you don't have to, you know, I, there's great quotes like uh, easy choices, hard life or hard choices, easy life. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm learning every day that I've got to make harder choices that may not be comfortable. Um, but, but those give me an infinitely better life than when I'm on my deathbed, I said, I have no regrets. You know, it comes back to, you know, doing the hard things, choosing the hard thing. And, and if you were built and designed for a life of ease and comfort, it would be a different story. You're not. We are not. We are not wired that way. Um, and I even will tell you this, my friend, uh, I rejoice in my suffering in those hard times because I know that that suffering is going to build endurance. The suffering that you've had to go through through yeah. this disease has built some endurance in you. That endurance has built character. You could call that grit as well. That ultimately gives you hope. And when you've got hope, then you've got a path forward. But it, to me, it, I think it's got to happen in that order. And I think that's an important thing to focus on. All right. So that's incredible. A lot of growth that's happened over that time. Could you imagine being back in Florida, counting those ballots, trying to figure out what's going to happen with these hanging chads? And then you fast years, forward all this time and, and right. here you are now. It's, it's a wild back world. Back in Florida. It's a wild world that we live in. You're back in Florida now with your <laughs> yeah. beautiful family. So in all of this, right, as you've been going through all of this, exponential growth in building out companies, but at the center of all those, at the heart of Go Big Media, Win Big Media, has been a growth mindset, but also a service before self, ensuring yeah. that you're building a place that can not only grow financially, but can grow uh, spiritually service-wise for your people. Why is that so important for you? Because it was everything I wasn't. Mm. Um, when I created Go Big, which you were there from the beginning, um, we created two values. Do you remember? It's okay. It's been a while since you were yeah. there. Do you remember the two values? Well, I remember growth and service being a big yeah. part of it. Yeah. That, I mean, it was give and grow. Yep. Give that and was grow. it. Right. Give and grow. But the same thing, growth and service, right? Yep. Uh, you got to give more than you take and you got to always be growing, right? And the reason I created those values in the company, because that's what I wasn't mm. and I wanted to be. And if I had an accountability in front of me every day, it was our mission statement. I had to either live up to that or I'd fall down. And so- that that's what I've, you know, what we created. Um, and it's, I, I really think that giving and growing or the way you'd look at culture, it starts within yourself. Are you that way? Are you a growth mindset and are you a giving mindset? 
And if you are, let's just talk about it from a from the company standpoint. Mm -hmm. If you are, then you emanate that give and grow to your team. So I may want to help somebody in my company and I'm not going to make any money on it. It's not going to get me anything, but do I have that give and grow mentality? If I see somebody that needs help or needs struggling or needs a, 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 an extra hand on something, it could be just like taking the trash out. Right. Um, do you feel like that's what I, that's who I am. So of course, like you don't even think twice about it. Like, yeah, I'm going to help that person. Right. Mm -hmm. Or are you one of those people that's like, Ooh, I've got my little fiefdom in my office and I'm not going to share information and all that stuff. Right. Um, and so I think this starts from within, are you a giving and, and growing person? And then if you are, then obviously within the team that you work with, you're going to give and grow to them. And if you give and grow to them and they all give and grow to you, then think about the clients you serve. Are you, it's going to emanate out into the world. It's just the, it's a, it's a karma thing. It's an energy thing. Um, and what, uh, I think we've gotten really, really right at go big media is that's how we've hired. Um, we hired that for the most part across the board over the years. Um, people don't always uh, last if that's not their priority. They may say it's their priority, but ultimately if they're not a good fit for us and they'll know it pretty quickly if that's not their priority. And then, you know, we created the second company, which is a corporate marketing firm. You said this earlier, but it's a win big media. And we're going through those growth pains too of trying to figure out, I, we don't nail this every time. This is what we strive to be best at. Um, and we're going through that, uh, that process right now. We had a, at that company, uh, we started a few years ago and we had massive growth. And then you get sort of drunk on the fact that you did something really good yeah. And now we're trying to transition into being scrappy startup where we're serving small businesses, startups, uh, fortune 200 companies being their marketing agency. And we're, we've got scrappy startup and now we're trying to be like orderly and disciplined firm. And what you really realize is that that's where the culture comes in. And that's maybe where I'm trying to figure out how to get better at. Um, but it, it's got to start from within. It's got to emanate to everybody on the team, the team emanates it back to you. And then it helps your clients. The clients are going to be like, man, I'm a raving fan of that. Like I, yeah. I want to be with yeah, those guys because they, they, they get, and, and, you know, you've seen that, you know, the, the leadership is really important in that mm -hmm. um, I'm, I try my best, not always, the, not always perfect. Uh, but you know, my other partner Dean is, is absolutely wired this way as well. And that's what we're trying to, to build every day. You know, something, something permeates from that, right? You talked about putting it out there and think about uh, being a client on the side of, so the company that assists me with all these things, I'm also seeing how much they're telling people out loud, how much they're setting aside from their revenues each year to then donate back to charities sure. that our staff and our employees yeah. and our people care about. So you're doing a few things there that I think are incredible for a culture. Yeah, can I give a practical, cool tip? To Please, absolutely, absolutely. So this is the coolest thing we've done um, which is we give a percentage of our profits back to charity every year. Um, and what, what's cool about that is, uh, you know, a lot of companies go, we're going to donate a percentage of our profits to the Children's Cancer Foundation. Hooray. And they all clap. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's great. But what we did was we created a charitable foundation called the Go Big Media Charitable Fund. And we dump the money in there. And then we tell the fund, or we tell our team, everybody at, at Go Big and Win Big, we say, what's your favorite charity? Wow. Yep. And then they go, oh, it's this, it's that. So we now have, you know, 30 different charities that they're the favorites. We go to the manager of our fund and we say, 
distribute evenly a check uh, to all 30 charities and do it not in the Go Big Charitable Fund's name, but do it in the name of the person whose charity this is going to help. And so at the end of the year, we do this every year, still do it. Um, that person that works in this company gets a donation made on their behalf to the charity of their choice. And I'm, I, I tell this because so many times as business owners, uh, we just don't get this. We think we're doing great, but that doesn't like empower your team. And this is one of the ways that we did it. I, I, Almost every company we work with, Ryan, I go, have you thought about doing it this way? And they go, oh, that's so right. cool. But that's hard. And I go, I know, but it's the charity of their the choice. Best. You're that's making it you about them. It. It's empathy. Right. It's having empathy for your team and saying, I want to help you. I know you care about these other things. And we want to show you that we care about that too. I remember too many wave times one of doing that when that check went out with my name on it. Yeah. For the foundation that helped kids who had lost their parents uh, in the military. Right. Yeah, feeling right, feeling like you're really part of something bigger than yourself when something yeah. goes out. So at this point, we've contributed almost a quarter of a million dollars to to the charities of our employees' choice. Wow, that's incredible, yeah. powerful yeah. man. That's some service before self. That's some strength of purpose and community impact happening right there. Before we let you go, um, I want to talk a little bit about, you mentioned a book that you've read. Let's talk about what you've been up to. And you've got one book that's already out. You've got one that's coming out today. As we're yeah. dropping this, April the 20th. Yeah. So the first book is Fire Them Now. Great book. Second one, The Undefeated Marketing System. I've already read the first two chapters. Excited for the book Thank you. to show up as well. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what that Yeah, it's like. uh, the subtitle is very, it will self-explain. So it's, yeah, the, the title is The Undefeated Marketing System. And the subtitle is How to Grow Your Business uh, and Build Your Audience Using the Secret Formula That Elects Presidents. And so uh, I identified how we marketed to presidents over the years, and it's a five-step formula. It's actually the same formula that sports teams use to win championships. It's the same formula that trial lawyers use to win court cases. Dr. Gundry uses on me to improve my health and get me off medication, uh, prescription medication. It's literally this ubiquitous five-step formula that no one has ever put out into the world before and that we just inherently use, utilize in our brain to make decisions, except corporate marketing agencies aren't doing this for their clients. And so we started applying this for, when we started our company, we started applying this five-step formula to, uh, to all the businesses and every company we've worked with that has utilized these five steps has grown their bottom line, every single one of them. And so I go, oh my God, there's something huge here that no one has explained before. Um, and so the book is a couple of things. First, it's only told through stories. Yep. So if you Very don't cool. want to textbooks about how a marketing formula works, good, this isn't it. If you want that, good, that ain't the book you're going to read. <laughs> right. uh, I tell political war stories. I tell presidential campaign stories. Um, I tell how these politicians got elected, not Pop, not right versus left has nothing to do with partnership. It's mm -hmm. how we got them elected through a marketing Which is what formula. happens. What happens and then it's in the how the same different stories on how we did it in the corporate world. And so I tell the whole book through stories. It's also sort of a, a historical look at how political campaigns have evolved um, in the modern age. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's super entertaining, if anything. Uh, but it also, I think, puts business owners and marketers on a path to exponential growth uh, if they follow the steps. And it reduces all of their risk as well. 
Timing couldn't be any better. The name of the book is The Undefeated Marketing System. Highly recommend you guys go check it out. philipstutz.com would probably yep. be where we want to send folks if they want to get sure. in touch with you. They want to hear more about it. They want to look for those books as well. Fire Them Now was the first book, Undefeated Marketing System, out today, which is incredible. Timing, timing couldn't be any better yeah. to have you do this. My brother, I love you. Uh, I'm so grateful for uh, the shared experience that we had together. I'm grateful for your fight, man, in this in this disease and, and finding a way to cure it. And if anything, you're going to at least keep swinging and taking a shot at this thing. You don't get to the moon by just thinking about it. You got to <laughs> make action happen, and you Thank are a you, man Brian. of action. He's Philip Stutz. I'm Brian Jodis. This has been Pick Up the Six Podcast.